Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of John uh, this week, and I'm really excited. I'm really enjoying this. Are you? Yeah? I'm really enjoying doing a sequential chapter-by-chapter Bible study, opening the Word each week and, uh, and receiving and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us and, uh, and through His Word uh, that He's already written and, uh, and speaking into our lives as we do this and as we take our time to go through the Scripture. Today we're in John 3. And uh, John 3, and we're focusing in the first uh, part of John 3, which is verse 1 to 21. And verse 1 to 21 records a conversation between Jesus and a chap called Nicodemus. And the subject of this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus is uh, the subject, the area of transformation, right? It's all about transformation, as we'll see and as we'll read as, uh, as, we, as we read through this, uh, this conversation that's recorded for us. And so as we open the Word, if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd love you to, uh, to open those. If you've got a notebook, uh, then get that ready as well. If you don't have a notebook, uh, we've got notebooks available for you because we think that taking notes is so important uh, here, not just notes on whatever I'm saying, because that could be good or bad, uh, but certainly uh, we, want, we need to be able to write down what it is that God is speaking to us uh, as we're here, yeah? yeah? As God is dropping things into our hearts and highlighting things uh, in, our, in our hearts and minds, we need to be able to jot those things down. And so that's why we provide notebooks. Is that okay? Yeah. Great stuff. Well, as we open the word in John 3, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've written it to us, that you give it to us freely and that we can come here on a Sunday morning in a school hall in Newark and we can open your word. We can open your word and we can read, uh, we can, we can read its, uh, its awesomeness and its power and it can impact our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place this morning. Would you work in this place? Would you work in our hearts? Would you work through the words that you've already penned and, uh, and teach us something this morning? Amen. Amen. Great stuff. Well, let's begin then at the beginning. A very good place to start. In, uh, in John chapter 3 and verse 1. Here we go. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. I just want to pause, uh, pause right there, and because uh, immediately we've already learned some things that we need to highlight. Firstly, we know who Jesus is having this conversation with. This chap called Nicodemus, he's a religious leader. He's a Pharisee, right? So at the time in the culture, uh, he's quite sort of... <clears throat> Almost quite high and mighty, right? He looks down on, on, on the other people around. He's, uh, he, he perhaps works in the temple. He knows the scripture off by heart. He's a very, uh, what we would say, perhaps a very holy person. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that's the kind of person uh, that we're dealing with here. He's a teacher of the law. He knows the law. He knows it well. Uh, and that is who Jesus is speaking to. But we also note this. Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night. He's come to Jesus at night. And this is really key because Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night uh, for a particular reason. Now, we could say, well, maybe just, he's just finished work, hasn't he? He's just finished work. He's finished at the temple. It's now nighttime. That's when he's available. That's when he's going to see Jesus. 
But the Bible doesn't, doesn't simply put things in here uh, as minor details uh, uh, like that. But rather, the fact that Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night, this is important. This is important. Because uh, night covers what we do, doesn't it? Right? Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night in the darkness when there's no one else around, when there's no one else that can see what Nicodemus is doing. This is when Nicodemus chooses to come to Jesus. This is when Nicodemus chooses to come to Jesus. And this challenged me this week. This challenged me this week. I don't know if it challenged you as you, as you read this word, uh, but it challenged me. Am I somebody who only goes to Jesus at night? Am I someone who only goes to Jesus when no one else is around, when, uh, when things are covered, when no one else can see? Am I ashamed of going to Jesus as Nicodemus is? Or am I, uh, 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 am I able to go to, to, to Jesus in the day, in the cold light of day where everyone can see and where it is public stuff? It's just a challenge. Just a challenge for us, I thought. Is that a challenge for you? It's a challenge for us uh, this week as we're reading the word. So we've got some context for this conversation. Uh, we, then, uh, we then read uh, the words of Jesus. Here we go. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now this is weird, right? This is weird. Because Jesus, this is Jesus' first response to Nicodemus. And he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he's talking about being born again. Nicodemus hasn't asked about the kingdom of God. There was no question, there was no mention for Nicodemus about the kingdom of God, and yet this is how Jesus chooses to respond. That's weird. Anything that's weird? But here's the thing. Jesus is cut into the chase. This is what's happening. See, Nicodemus, as I said, he's a teacher of the law. He's a teacher of the scriptures in the temple. He knows of the kingdom of God. He knows of the kingdom of God. It's in his head. He knows it. He's read uh, the scriptures. He knows the Torah, uh, the, the, the Old Testament. He knows what's going on there. And Jesus knows that Nicodemus knows of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus cuts right to the chase and said, the kingdom of God that you know of, Nicodemus, here's the thing. You're not going to see that unless you're born again. It's not enough just to know of the kingdom of God, but you need to be born again. You need to be born again. Now, this is a, a strange phrase, isn't it? Yeah? Bit of a strange phrase? Yeah? Some think it's normal. Okay. Well, Nicodemus didn't. Nicodemus didn't. But, uh, but the, first thing, the first thing we learn or, or that we're able to discern of, of this transformation that Jesus is speaking about and that he's going to go on to speak about is this. Transformation is messy. Transformation is a messy process. It's a, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, live, in person, the miracle of life be produced. Yeah? I haven't. I haven't. Uh, but what I have seen is a video. Now listen, it's okay. A video, they showed us it at school. It was year seven or possibly eight, I'm not sure. Uh, and it was a video of the... I haven't told my parents this. I think they perhaps complained to the governing body of the school. Uh, it was a video that put on display the miracle of life in, in all its glory right there for everyone to see. And, uh, and, and I'm still scarred by this experience. But what I will say is this. The thing I learned from this experience is that birth is messy. Okay? 
That was my number one takeaway from that experience, uh, that birth is messy. And so Jesus here is, is, is talking about this second birth, this second birth, and birth is messy. Transformation is messy. This is, this is, messy, this is messy stuff. I want to highlight a verse in the Old Testament for us that is speaking about this same transformation, but from an Old Testament perspective. And it's found in Ezekiel 36, chapter 26 to 27. God says this, I will give you a new heart and pour a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God is describing here this same transformation process, right? This same, uh, this same thing from an Old Testament perspective. It's the same idea. And what God is describing is effectively open heart surgery, isn't he? He's talking about opening, uh, opening up a, a heart, removing a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, a softened heart. And uh, open heart surgery is messy. It's messy stuff, yeah? It's messy things. Uh, I've seen it on casualty. It's not nice. You know, when they zoom in, I've seen that. It's not pleasant. There's blood all over the place. Uh, but this is part of transformation. And I want to tell you that it's messy. It's messy stuff. Galatians 2, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Again, it's the same process that's, that's being described here. And I want to tell you that crucifixion that Paul is talking about is messy. It's messy. Transformation is messy. And so what does that mean for us? What do you mean it's messy for us? Are we going to get covered in blood and, and things? Or no? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Um, no, but, but transformation is messy. It means that we're gonna that we're gonna go through some stuff. It means that in our pursuit of going from one degree of glory to the next, as the Bible talks about, we're gonna have to have some conversations. We're gonna have to address some things and some areas in our lives. We're gonna have to have some difficult uh, discussions and, uh, and and what have you. And these things are messy. We're going to have to face things in our lives and God is going to put uh, his finger on things in our, in, our, in our minds and in our souls that he needs to change and that process is messy. That process is messy. Transformation is messy. Is that okay? Yeah? So good. Let's continue. <clears throat> How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of, the of, of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You must be born again. And so a new, a new idea or a new, uh, a new phrase is introduced now that Jesus is bringing. And he's giving some more information as to what this birth is. He's described a new birth, which is weird. And Nicodemus doesn't understand, which frankly, I, you know, I, I could appreciate his point of view from, uh, from where he's standing. And he doesn't understand what this second birth is about. And Jesus sheds further light onto it. And he says, no, this birth is a birth of the Spirit. You don't have to worry about... <laughs> about climbing. You don't have to worry about another natural birth. Don't worry about that. Let's just leave it there. Let's just leave it there. 
Uh, Jesus is speaking about a second birth, and this birth is a birth of the Spirit. And he's saying, Nicodemus, uh, listen, I can see that you have had and you've received a natural birth. That's very obvious because you're in front of me now, and I can see that. Uh, But what we're talking about here is a new birth. It's a spiritual birth. It's It's a spiritual birth. And so this transformation that we're talking about is a transformation that is of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. It's of the Spirit of God. It's not an earthly transformation that we're talking about. Uh, it's, it's not that. It's a transformation that's of the Spirit. And with it is this spiritual birth. Is this spiritual birth. Because uh, what Jesus is really saying to Nicodemus is this. You understand the kingdom of God. And you know the kingdom of God. You're a teacher. And you've, you've taught about this. But spiritually, you're not birthed into it. You're not birthed into it. You don't know of it. You don't experience it uh, personally. And in order to do that, there is this second birth, this spiritual birth that I'm talking about. Is that good? Transformations of the Spirit? Great. Let's move on. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I feel like Jesus is introducing new concepts and new ideas in every sentence that he speaks. Hey, yeah? Now he's speaking about the Spirit and he's, and he's speaking about this, this wind, this idea of the wind. And he likens uh, the Spirit of God to the wind. And he's saying uh, that this is, this is what it is like uh, for everyone who is born of the Spirit. What is Jesus saying here? What does this mean? I don't know if you've ever experienced the wind. We live in England, so you will have, actually. Um, but the wind is a, is, a, is, a, is a force of nature, isn't it, that is uncontrollable, yeah? We don't control the wind. I don't know if you've ever tried that. Standing up, perhaps on the beach, when it's blowing sand in your eyes, and you're like, hey, wind, please stop that. Or, or perhaps, can you, can you blow in the other direction, wind? Or maybe, maybe you've put the washing out on the line and there is no wind. And at that point, you want wind because it helps with the drying of the washing. And you're like, wind, would you please come? It won't obey you. It won't obey you. You cannot control the wind. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The Spirit of God is uncontrollable. He does as he pleases. And this is what it is like for those who are born of the Spirit of God that the Spirit of God is in control. The Spirit of God is in control. And in, in light of this, what we need to acknowledge as, as, as Christians and as, as people who, uh, who, who perhaps have experienced this, uh, this birth that Jesus is talking about is that with this comes a release of control over our lives. Did you know that? There is a release of control over our lives. Jesus is saying the Spirit does as the Spirit pleases. And you don't get to control that. And the Spirit lives in you, and you have no control over that. You have no control over that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, um, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Listen, you are not your own. You are not your own. 
When we accept Jesus into our lives, when we experience this, uh, this, this second birth of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit uh, exists in us and, 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 and resides in us, we relinquish a control over our lives. And some will say, well, I don't want that. I want to control my life. I want to control my own destiny. Good luck with that. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Bit harsh. <laughs> But there is an idea here of release of control. Release of control and an acknowledgement that we are not our own. We are not our own. And it is a release of burden. Because actually to, uh, to, to have full control and to have full dominion uh, over our own lives is actually a burdenous thing. It's actually a burdenous thing. And, uh, and, and, and I don't know about you, but, um, but when I received Jesus and when I gave my life to him and said, hey, you're in, you're in charge. You're in charge now. I don't know things, man. I just, I just don't know things. There is a release of control, but a release of burden. There is a release of burden. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that, uh, that he has come uh, to give life and life in all of its fullness. Life in all of its fullness. That's what God has for us. That's his intention for us. And part of that is, is him being in control. Because he knows what is best for us. He knows what is right for us far more than we ever could. And so with this release of control comes a release of burden. Is that all right? Yeah? Not popular with some, perhaps. Not popular with some. But, uh, but true. But true. So we preach it anyway. Yeah? Nicodemus, though, still not sure. Still not convinced. We read from verse 9. Here we go. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? So Jesus is, uh, Jesus is speaking now, and, and, and he's, he's letting us know uh, this, that the thing that we're talking about, this transformation, this new birth, this, this, uh, this spiritual rebirth that Jesus is talking about, uh, it's not of this world. It's not of this world, and it's, it, it's not really understandable and comprehensible uh, by, uh, by the nature of this world, because we live in, in an earthly world, don't we? Very physical, very uh, you know, tangible. You can, you can touch things and, and feel things and what have you. And Jesus is saying here, that the, uh, the transformation that we're talking about seeing, the transformation that we're talking about experiencing is not a physical transformation. It's not anything that exists in a physical realm. This is a spiritual transformation that is out of this world. And there is an acknowledgement here, friends, and, uh, and this is something that we, that we need to know, and many of us do, but it's good to be reminded that we live in a spiritual world. We live in a, in a, in a spiritual world. In, uh, in Ephesians 6, um, Paul writes, for our struggle, the struggle that we face, our everyday, what we, what we face, what we experience, the struggle is not against flesh and blood. But it seems so, doesn't it? It seems so when we face things in our lives day after day. It seems to be things that we can see. But no, here we go. Uh, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. This is where the struggle is. This is where the battle is really happening. 
Our struggle is not in, in flesh and blood. And there's this acknowledgement that there, is, there are two worlds occurring here. There are two worlds occurring and two worlds colliding. One of the natural that we can see and that it's, that it's easy to understand. And one of the spiritual, which is not easy to understand. But this is where the real stuff is happening. Transformation is out of this world. Yeah? Is that good? Okay. Let's continue then. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now quickly, uh, Jesus introduced yet another, a new phrase, another, a new uh, expression here, the Son of Man. And, uh, and it's, it's confusing perhaps for those that, that haven't heard this before. Uh, the Son of Man, the phrase Son of Man is Jesus' favorite um, name for himself. When Jesus speaks of himself and he speaks in the third person, Jesus refers to himself um, a lot as the Son of Man. And so what does this mean? Where does that come from? Uh, well, it comes from a story in Daniel chapter 7 where da- Daniel has a vision and he has a vision of, uh, of, of somebody who, who comes and is given dominion and given authority over the kingdoms. And, uh, and, and this person is perceived to be uh, in the vision God. And so uh, w- what we have here is Jesus saying, hey, uh, that person that Daniel saw in the vision that is written down in, in, in the book of Daniel, that's me. That's me. And, uh, and so this, this is one of those scriptures, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, uh, this idea that Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, and, and, and sometimes we hear that, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. We, that's not written in the Bible anywhere. And, and we said, didn't we, that the, the, the words and the phrase, um, I am God, never came out of Jesus' mouth. But instead, Jesus gave much more real and much more, uh, much more reflective um, uh, ways of, of, of showing and referencing and, and, and guiding us to the fact that he is God. And this is one of them. This is one of them. When Jesus declares that he is the son of man. Is that all right? Great, uh, but that's not the uh, that's not the, the meat of the verse uh, of the verse. Here we go. <clears throat> uh, what we're talking about, what Jesus is talking about, what he's saying to, to to Nicodemus: No one has ever gone into heaven except the one that came down. No one has ever ascended apart from the one who has descended. Yeah. So much of, of, of transformation, and, and if, if you look at this across, across other, other religions as well and other ideologies, there is such a focus on ascension. There is such a focus on us, uh, on, 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 on the person, on the individual going to heaven. What do you have to do to get to heaven? Where do you have to uh, be to get to heaven? How much good stuff do you have to do to get to heaven? Uh, or, or even transformation in a, in a more secular way. It's all, about, uh, it's all about elevating ourselves, isn't it? Us going up. It's all about our ascension. That's, that's a typical sort of, uh, sort of idea and worldview. And as I say, particularly, uh, particularly uh, in, 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 in other religions and, and what have you, it's all about us going up. What Jesus is saying here, though, is actually, why don't we focus on the one that came down? Why don't we focus on the one uh, that came down? Jesus is saying, no one's going to heaven. Don't even bother with heaven. No one's going to heaven apart from the one uh, who came down from heaven. No one has been to heaven apart from the one that came down from heaven. And Jesus is drawing our focus to him, the one that came down from heaven. Our transformation is not about, uh, it's not about us focusing on our ascension. It's actually about focusing on Jesus' descension. 
It's about focusing on Jesus' descension and the fact that God came down, that God came down to earth, that he came, Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate. Hebrews 3 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your eyes, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying here. Never mind focusing about, on about what you have to do to go up. Focus on me because I came down. Our transformation is, a, is about ascending, is, is descending, not ascending. Are good? Yeah? Challenge. Challenges. Wow. Who loves a challenge on a Sunday morning at half past 11? Yeah? Let's continue then. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Another new thing, another new concept. Jesus is now talking about a snake. What's going on here? What's it got to do with a snake? Well, the snake is a reference, Jesus is, is referencing here more Old Testament. So you have to remember that he, who he's speaking to, Nicodemus, he is an Old uh, Testament. He's, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher of the law. And so he knows all of the references that Jesus is making. It's a bit more cumbersome for us, isn't it? Because we don't know the, the Old Testament off by heart. And so every reference uh, that's made, if we want to fully understand it, we have to explain the full reference each time. Uh, so that's why sermons take an hour. Just a little warning. No, I'm joking. I'm joking, sort of. Um, but, uh, uh, but Nicodemus knows exactly what Jesus is talking about uh, when he's talking about this snake. And it's a story, uh, an account that's found in Numbers chapter 21. And it's of a time where, uh, where the, the Israelites, they're, they're walking around. Uh, they're once again, they're disobeying God. Uh, they've got no idea what they're doing. And they, become, uh, they start to, to become bitten by snakes, right? And so, just like that. And, uh, and so, so God says in Numbers, uh, Numbers 21, uh, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. And so that's what Moses does. He gets this snake, he wraps it around a pole, and he lifts it up. And anyone who has been bitten by a snake, uh, the Israelites, anyone who has been bitten by a snake looks up to the snake on the pole, and they receive a healing. That's, what's, uh, that, that's what, uh, that's what uh, Jesus is saying here, is that, I will be lifted up. I will be lifted up. And those who look towards me will receive a healing. And Jesus is, is foreshadowing here and he's prophesying his, uh, his ultimate uh, sacrifice on the cross where he will be lifted up on the cross for all to see. And anyone who looks towards the cross and accepts, uh, accepts the cross and the, and, and the message and the mission of the cross, anyone who looks and accepts will receive the healing that the cross brings, will receive the healing that Jesus has for them. Our transformation brings healing. Transformation is all about healing. And it's for us to receive as we look to Jesus. And this kind of uh, brings us to the end of the conversation uh, that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And, uh, and so now we move on to kind of a little bit of a commentary almost of this conversation. Uh, in, John's, uh, in John's own words uh, from verse 16, 
we read some of, uh, some of a commentary on the conversation that's just happened. And uh, John 3 and, and verse 16 is, uh, is perhaps the most famous verse in, in the whole Bible. Everyone knows this verse. It's the first verse you learn uh, in, in um, Sunday school. Uh, even, even atheists and those that, uh, that denounce Jesus, they know this verse. And, uh, and it, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So I might be saying, we've talked a lot about transformation. We've talked a lot about, uh, about, about how uh, and about what and about this second birth and about, about everything that's, that's happening here. And, and, uh, but it kind of leaves us with this question, well, what actually is transformation? What actually is happening? What actually is it? And John 3.16 describes transformation and tells us, and we know from this, that transformation is our salvation. Transformation is our salvation. But I just want to, uh, I just want to break into uh, to John 3.16 a little bit, if that's all right. Uh, and, uh, and, and sort of analyze a little bit of what's going on, because it is the most, as I say, the most popular, perhaps, uh, verse in the whole Bible. And so I just want to break in just a little bit and look at what's going on. And it kind of breaks down into four parts. It kind of breaks down into four parts. The first part uh, says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The first part describes who God is. It describes the design of God, right? For God so loved the world. What do we learn of God in this instance? That he is loving. That he is all loving because he loves the whole world. He loves the whole world. That is the design. That is the nature. That is the characteristics of God. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about God. And we're talking about the design of God. But it goes on. That whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in him. This is on us, isn't it? This is a duty, actually, that's on us. It's something that we have to do. It's, it's, it's a call to action, if you like, uh, on us. And I want to highlight this word believe. What does believe mean? It's just to, just a, a, a relatively weak sort of, yeah, believe in God, sure. That's cool. Yeah, believe in God. Why not? But that's not what, what the word believe means. And we lose something in the, in the English translation of this. The word uh, in Greek is pistevo. Say that. Pistevo. It sounds Italian. Greek, they're really close, Mediterranean, it's all that kind of same area. Um, pistevo. And, uh, and the word means believe, but it means so much more than believe. It means, it means to trust wholeheartedly. It means to put faith in uh, sort of uh, unconditionally. It means to rely on completely. This is what believe means. It's not a passing uh, uh, word. It's, it's, an, it's an active pursuit of God. Uh, this is what. Uh, this is the duty on us. What we must do. Why? Why must we do this? Because of the next bit. Shall not perish. Shall not perish. This is the danger. This is the danger that is to us. I was reading this this week and I was contemplating and I was wondering, 
Lord, how deep, how deep should we go on a Sunday with this? And uh, I felt the Lord, I felt the Lord actually say, just find out on Sunday. Okay. Did you know that God poses the greatest danger to us? Did you know that? See, we, we tend to think, and we can, we can think in sort of nice, friendly, uh, friendly Christian uh, sort of uh, preaching that it's the enemy who is our enemy, and the enemy uh, um, uh, poses the biggest danger to us, that he is, he is the enemy, he's, he's the demonic, he's, you know, he's all that stuff. But here's the thing, that's not true. God poses the biggest danger to us because we made ourselves, humanity made ourselves an enemy of God. Who are we condemned by? Who are we condemned by? God. We're, condemned by, we're not condemned by the devil. We're not condemned by the devil. Revelation doesn't speak of the devil. Revelation in, in chapter 14 says this. They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of God's wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of God's holy angels and the Lamb. This has taken a turn, hasn't it? This is the Bible, folks. It's what the Bible says. The biggest danger to humanity is God. Because humanity chose and decided to make ourselves an enemy of God. See, God is a holy God who can only accept a holy people. But through our sin, through our sinful nature, and through our sinful actions, and through, and, and through the introduction of sin into the world in the Garden of Eden, thanks to, uh, uh, thanks to the first people, uh, representative of all humanity, we made ourselves an enemy of God, and God is the most powerful enemy. And the, the, the enemy, uh, the, the devil, doesn't rival God. Uh, I, I thought this week, uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was listening to something, and, uh, and this question was posed, what's the opposite of God? What's the opposite of God? God has no opposite. God has no opposite. The devil is not the opposite of God. The devil is, uh, is an angel, a best, a fallen angel, a created being. God has no opposite. It's a fairly nice little picture in our, in our culture where we see God and, 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 uh, and, and the devil as being sort of opposites, kind of fighting this, uh, this battle, if you like. Uh, but that's not true. That is not true. God has no opposite. God is almighty, he is all-powerful, and he is the one that poses the greatest threat. By our choice, not his. This is the danger that's posed to us. But. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is our destiny. This is what God wants for us. This is what God so desires for us. This is what God so seeks for us. And this is why God sent his only son so that we might have it, so that we may experience it, so that we may enjoy it. The Bible says uh, that God so loved the world. This, this, this kind of means two things. It means that he so loved it as in he loved it so much. But it also means this is what God has done because he loves the world. 
It's not a passing love that, doesn't, uh, that, that, that um, bears no fruit. The fruit of God's love for, for his creation is that he sent his one and only son to suffer the cross so that we may be spared from the perishing. So that we may be spared from the perishing. This is just how much God loves us. And it is amazing. It is amazing that we need not experience the perishing. We need not experience the wrath. We need, we need not experience the, the eternal in, uh, in, 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 in burning sulfur, as the Bible says. It's really graphic. But we need not experience that because of the love of God and the price that was paid on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But it's still real, and we still need to know. And this motivates us and, 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 and drives us to action as the church. That we will go and we will testify of the goodness of God. And that we will tell others of the goodness of God. Uh, verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Transformation is essential. It is essential because without it, we stand condemned. We stand condemned by God because of our unholiness, because of our, uh, the, the, the evil that exists within us. And so transformation is essential. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life, uh, sorry, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what God is so desperate for each one of us to experience. For each one of us to experience. Transformation is essential. Let's, uh, let's finish up then with the, uh, with the last few verses from verse 19. This is the verdict. Light. Who's light? Jesus. We learn that in John 1. If you go back a few pages in your notebooks. Huh? You'll know that. Uh, this is the verdict. Light has come into this world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The final, the final, um, the final few verses in uh, in this passage that we're looking at today show us that transformation is a choice. People choose to reject God. People choose to stay in the darkness because the darkness covers all. The darkness covers deeds. It covers evil. It covers uh, that which we do not want to be exposed. It covers us, not for long, it's not a permanent covering, everything will be exposed in the end, uh, but, uh, but, but for, for the here and now, darkness feels comfortable, it feels nice, because going into the light exposes who we really are, and it exposes the need and the, uh, the, the essential nature of transformation and the need for Jesus. But many will reject Jesus because they don't want to experience the revelation of their evil deeds. And, and I, I was thinking about this this week again. Um, 
and thinking that that this 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 rejection of of Jesus and who who Jesus is that Jesus is the, the Son of God that Jesus did come uh, to the cross uh, that we may all experience eternal life, but the rejection of this message is not a new concept, is it? It's nothing new. It's nothing new. You know, I I I, uh, I, I like listening to um, I like listening to um, debates, right? Debates and uh, and what have you between Christians and, and and atheists. Sometimes I think it's quite. I like it. I don't know. I don't know if you do, but I do. And uh, and and it, it makes me wonder when 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 I hear these uh, these reasonings and, and and why people choose to reject God. It it seems so so often that that the rejection of of Jesus, the rejection of God, is almost based on an idea that. Society has what evolved so much now with science and technology and stuff that it doesn't need God anymore. That that was a superstitious thing days of old, and now we can reject God. But the rejection of God is nothing new. It's nothing new of the scientific age. It's nothing new of the of the industrial revolution or, or any of this stuff. The rejection of God is a tale as old as time. It's nothing new and edgy. It's a tale as old as time, and it is a it is a it is a, a choice that many will choose. Many will choose to reject Jesus because the darkness is so comfortable. But there is a choice. And God first chose us. God first chose us. Ephesians uh, 2, I think I haven't written it down, uh, talks about us being dead in our transgressions. Talks about us being dead in sin. And that's that's the state of of, of humanity. That's the state of, of who we are before Jesus, before this transformation that we're talking about this morning. And so a question comes, well, how can, how can dead people, those who are spiritually dead, make a decision for Jesus? How can they decide to follow good when they are inherently evil? This is deep this morning, isn't it? Might have gone too far. But first, God first chose us. Because God loves us. And we declare, as Romans 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a choice and an action on us. And so what's the, what's the takeaway from this, from this message today? What's, uh, what's, the, what's the key point? What are we going away with? I think that's different for each one of us, depending on what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning. You might have heard the first point and then just been taken away with that for the whole time. And that's great, because that's how God works. But my, my takeaway from this passage is this, transformation is God's will for your life. 
Transformation is God's will for my life. And transformation is God's will for the lives of so many in this town. And a transformation that is so much more, uh, so much more important, so much deeper, so much more meaningful uh, than any sort of physical transformation uh, or any transformation of the earth. But this spiritual transformation, this new birth, this, this birth of the spirit, this awakening in the spirit is God's will for us. It's God's will for us. And he loves us so much that he sent his son that we might experience it. That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.